Now, sometimes words come together and capture a thought so completely and accurately that they take up a special place in the heart and conscience of a people. They even come to define who the people in the core of their being or at the very bottom of their soul really are. Such words have power to a degree disproportionate to their number. That is, the sayings are short and yet potent. Patrick Henry's declaration, Give me liberty or give me death, defined American thought and idealism for generations. People were willing to fight and, if need be, die for the sake of that thing called liberty, even if they themselves could not enjoy its fruit and others deeply honored such sacrifices. Our national mottos is like it. E pluribus unum, out of the many, one people. It inspired individuals from different parts of the world to leave behind once they were in order to become an American, something which until relatively recently was the most respected and honored and desired title among the poor and needy of the earth. To be an American was to be free. It meant having opportunity to pursue a better life for yourself and for your family. You came knowing that maybe you yourself in some ways would still be half of what country you had left Though in your heart you were all American, but you hoped and believed your children would become completely American, and for generations that is exactly how it happened. Those words, those sayings still have power to inspire. They can still mold and shape the hearts of people, and they can still impart character and identity. And that's why the enemies of the republic try so hard to silence their voices or to ridicule their sentiment or to cast doubt on the sincerity of those who spoke them. If they can't kill us outright, they will try to rob us of all that makes us who we are or at least at this point who we once were. And then they will do to us what they have done to all other people in all other places throughout all other ages of the world. They will subjugate us and make us their slaves. Now this morning, I'm really not so much interested in giving you a history lesson as I am in reminding you, or maybe in some cases, introducing you to one of those kinds of statements from the Christian faith. A statement which both defines and inspires us as believers as the people of God, and which, frankly, the enemy of our soul will try to steal from us so he might make us a slave. The words are few, but they're powerful. And when you hear them, and when you understand them, and embrace them, They change the course of your life, which affects others around you, and therefore those words through you change the shape of eternity. But I would fail in my duty if I didn't warn you, beware, your enemy is a thief 
and a liar and a murderer, and he wants to steal that truth from you. The words I'm referring to are found in the book of Romans, and I want to invite you to join me there once again in that book, and this time in chapter 8. And of course, we'll have the text up on the screen on either side of you. We've been making our way through this book, and we've come to the central portion. Paul's been reasoning with us, and he's been leading us to this very place. And he's going to tell us how to live the Christian life. And actually, he's going to tell us the only way we can really live that life. But he begins by reminding us of something we should already know, this truth which we must embrace and keep on embracing, which is the power to change us so that we can live that life. It is just that important. And Paul says it in such a powerful way in verse 1 of chapter 8 where we read, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those words echo and reverberate throughout the history of our faith. They have brought solace and comfort and encouragement to the downhearted. They're able to speak to us in the darkest times of our life when our frailties and sins and failures threaten to overwhelm us. Simple words, powerful words, the words of God to his people. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that word, therefore, tells us this truth is based on something Paul has already stated, that we belong to God because of what God has done for us in his Son, Jesus Christ, and not because of anything of our own doing. There is now no condemnation. Zero. Zero. If we were to quantify it, that's the number we must apply when we're talking about Christians. Were there a machine sensitive enough to detect one atom of condemnation when the believer was brought forth to be analyzed, the dial would not move. There would be no clicks or beeps. The machine would continue to register zero. And this is true for all of those who are in Christ. It is not true for those on the outside. The Bible's quite clear about that. But for us on the inside, it is one of the glorious truths associated with being in Christ. We're going to talk, take some time this morning now to talk about these words in more depth. Uh, We might better understand what they really mean, what they're saying. And as a caution, I want to encourage you to stay with me, to listen to all that I have to say. Don't get sidetracked. There's a lot going on in these few words. And some question may arise in your mind or heart that that I hopefully will answer a little bit later. And you may not hear that answer if you don't stay with me. And so now after that warning, let's begin by talking about condemnation. 
as the text is said, there isn't any for the believer. That statement is absolute. No condemnation means just that. No condemnation. It does not mean a little bit of condemnation or sometimes there's condemnation or that condemnation is hanging over us waiting to drop or that one day we will be condemned. It means none. Zero. In the original language in the Greek, there's no verb. And it gives the sentence this feel of timelessness. The Greek reads, therefore, now, no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. For English speakers, we have to supply the verb. And so we say there is, that's our verb, there is no condemnation. It's a state of being. It describes our condition, which is not dependent on us or anything we do. It simply is. It's not dependent either on time. It is now. The ever-present now. Not measured in a series of seconds or minutes or hours or days, but in the timelessness of being in Christ, who himself is eternal. In him are all times now. And what makes it so important is when we realize what condemnation means. At the very end, it means separation from God and all that which is good. It signifies death, the thing that most people fear and the worst than our worst nightmare. Dante's words capture well its significance when he wrote, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. The book of the Revelation gives us a vivid picture of the weight, the terror of condemnation. The scene describes those who are outside the faith when Christ returns as they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. We know it on a more personal level. It's not very pleasant, but most of us, if we think back, remember those times as a child when we were caught doing something we knew was wrong. We can still feel how it felt to have our faces turn red and our our ears burning with the heat and embarrassment. We recollect a discomfort bordering almost on a literal pain as we're made to answer our interrogator, whether a parent or a teacher or a policeman. We can still feel the eyes of others on our backs looking us as we're made to face that authority. I mean, the thought of it all these years later can still bring that same sense of shame we felt back then. That feeling, that weight of condemnation is so heavy we will go to great lengths to get out from under. We're willing to listen to those who will tell us There are psychologists and psychiatrists who will tell you, and they are intent on telling you because they want to believe it so much themselves that there is no such thing as sin, and therefore there is no condemnation. 
And we want so much to believe and to get out from under the weight of that condemnation that sometimes we almost do believe it. And then someone does something that cries out for judgment and you realize what nonsense it is to say there is no such thing as sin. And we know, don't we? If there's sin, then certainly there's condemnation. Or people embrace some religion which uh, teaches, which tells you, 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 if you could only get far enough away from things, you'd realize there's no such thing as good or bad. There's no condemnation because of that. And the best thing they say that can happen to you is to cease to exist, that you're swallowed up into the everything, which is neither good nor bad, it just is. And all the while, the image of God that is in you, marred though it may be, is crying out, you were not made for nothing or in jest. You were made for God, and he has placed eternity in your heart. And the very senses which make you human question, how can you, how dare you to equate good and evil? Or sometimes someone justifies his or her sin themselves. They want others to believe it, to agree with them, but whether they do or not, they tell them themselves, this thing, whatever this thing is, well, it's not sin. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, God's a loving God, and he's not judgmental. He wants me to be happy without this thing. Well, I'll be unhappy. They embrace the sin, but they can't endure the condemnation, and so they pretend that everything is okay. But it's not. <laughs> they drag the weight of it with them everywhere they go, and it affects everything all of these gyrations right, to get out from under the weight of condemnation. But there is no getting out from under it except by becoming a Christian. Only in Christ are we ever free from it. But when we are in him, there is no condemnation. Zero. There's conviction for sin, yes. But there's no condemnation. When we do wrong, God is faithful. He confronts us. He calls us to confess and to repent, but he does not condemn us. He's also very clear. When he speaks to us about our sin, there's no wondering. There's no real question about the issue. And when, not if, you experience those vague feelings of being condemned, then understand that is not the way God works. He is clear, and he does not condemn. He calls us back into fellowship with him, which brings me to this point. When we are in Christ, there is no condemnation from any quarter, certainly not from God himself. I mean, we have it right here, his word on it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Neither then can there be condemnation for other entities, whether human or spirits or governments. 
They may indeed condemn us, but it doesn't stick. They can kill us, but we will rise again and we will reign for eternity. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later in this chapter, Paul tells us that no charge can be brought against us because God is the one who justifies us in his son. Finally, we have no right to condemn ourselves. Some of us are very good at doing just that. But I can tell you this, when you condemn yourself, God is not in agreement with you. He's saying in the very opposite, there is no condemnation, for you are in my Son. Again, if you're in sin, he'll tell you plainly, but he's not condemning you, for there is, again, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Which brings us to this truth. When we feel condemned, we need to see it for what it is. An attack by one of the three enemies of the faith. It is an assault on our belief by the evil one. Or it is a lie of the world to disarm us and make us ineffective. Or it is a rebellion of our sinful nature against the truth of God's word. For there is now no condemnation for those who embrace Jesus. That. experience those times of what I can only call a vague sense of condemnation, though it may seem very intense, and yet there's no clear conviction of sin. Some rarely experience that, and for them, when they do experience it, it almost overwhelms them, for they haven't fought in that arena very much. Some, like myself, are self-critical. We find ourselves wrestling with it more often. And some are dealing with psychological issues, and some maybe even have chemical imbalances. But understand, when those feelings come, when you feel condemned, it is not from God. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nor is it merely an anomaly or a result of a self-critical spirit or a psychological or chemical issue. It's an attack. All those other things are just the occasion for the attack. So, and I need to be really clear about this, we keep dealing with our issues. We keep seeking counsel. We keep taking our meds. We fight those battles by those means. But we are not fooled. We know we have experienced a spiritual attack. And we fight the spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. We take the heart of these words. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And we pray. And we read God's word. And we remain in the fellowship of the church. And we walk by faith, not in fear, not in presumption, but by faith. And we fight the battle. I, I don't know if 
if this would work for you, but I try to use the enemy's weapons against him. I remind myself that this is what it's like to be outside of Christ. This is what comes from a life of sin. I turn it into a signpost which says, do not enter, turn back, go instead of God's way. You and I, if we're in Christ, are under no condemnation, no matter what we might feel, no matter what someone might say, whatever our circumstances, we are not. It's really important. I know I keep saying it. But it's really important that we understand the reason we are not under condemnation. It's because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's based on what he did for us in his son when God sent him to die in our place. It's not dependent on what we have done or will ever do. We have come to him accepting his offer to forgive our sins based on what Christ did on that cross. We have put our faith in him. We trust him, and he will not let us down. And once we've trusted Christ in this way, when we come to him in faith, believing what he told us in his word, trusting in Christ's atoning work, we are not only forgiven, then we not only have eternal life, but we are then Placed in Him. You know, the Bible tells us we died when He died, if we're in Him. We were raised when He was raised, if we're in Him. We are now seated with Him in the heavenly realms, if we're in Him. This is our spiritual reality. It's not complete yet. There's more to come. The resurrection is still before us. Not everything is yet perfected. But it's as good as done. You can rely on it. Or as that old saying goes, you can take it to the bank. So how can we? How can we who are in Christ ever be condemned? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Embrace those words. Memorize them. Quote them to yourself often. Let them set you free. Allow them to mold you and inspire you. And don't let your enemies steal them from you. Walk in faith, not in fear, not in presumption, but walk Now, there's a little more that I, I need to say this morning before we can bring our time together to a close. Now, I remember when I first put my trust in Christ. It was at nighttime in the back of the 7-Eleven store of all places. I worked there part-time, and someone shared with me from the Bible the truth about my condition. I understood that I was a sinner that I was lost and condemned because of it. I discovered that I couldn't help myself. I could never undo even one of my sins. I could not stop sinning. I could never be good enough to get to heaven on my own steam. And then he told me that Christ died in my place to pay for my sin. And that if I believed that truth and would turn to him, 
turn away from my sins, asking him to save me, he would. And he did. He saved me and made me his own. He gave me eternal life and along with that, complete forgiveness and acceptance. And I remember that night very clearly. And I remember three things that I felt get it out of the way, though it wasn't the first thing I felt. Actually, it was the last thing I felt. It came at the end of that experience, and it certainly wasn't the most important, but I'm embarrassed to tell you that I felt embarrassed when I got up off of my knees and realized someone had come into the store and caught me praying of all the things to be embarrassed about sinners. Far more important than that were the other two things. First, I, I knew that my sin was gone. I, I was no longer under condemnation. I felt a freedom and a lightness and a cleanness, an acceptance and forgiveness and a sense of purpose, which I had never known before. There really is nothing like it in all of human experience. The other important thing which I experienced that night was that I knew beyond any doubt that everyone needed to hear what I heard. Everyone needs to know that God loved them enough to send his son to die in their place to pay for their sin. And maybe you're here today and you have not yet come to Christ. You know, if that's your condition, then you are under condemnation. You may not feel it, or you may feel it. Often the evil one tries to hide that truth from you, just as he falsely accuses the believer. But that's your condition. Yet God is holding out to you the same offer that he held out to me. That if you come to him, admitting your sin, believing that he died on that cross to pay for and asking him to forgive you, he will forgive you. He has promised this in his word, and he never goes back on what he says. There has never been a promise he has not kept. If you call on his name, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. And in just a moment, we're going to close our time together in a song. And, and, and if you want to take God up on his offer, if you have questions about it, there are going to be some people standing right over here in this corner who can help you. And so when that music starts and we stand up to sing, I want you just to walk right over there and tell them what's on your heart. They'll take the Bible, God's Word, and they will show you the truth. And lastly, maybe you're here today and you've already put your trust in Christ, but you're under attack feeling as though you're just so much nothing, or that you're so bad that Christ can't use you, or even wondering how someone like you could ever be a Christian. Whatever your situation, whatever the occasion, God is saying to you, there is now, at this very moment, and in all moments, no condemnation who 
step of faith and walk over there when the music starts and someone will pray with you. And to all of you, I say this. God is so so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. He bore 